You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 20. Um, as we try to do, I want to read back through um, the chapters that we've covered over the last several weeks just to remind us of the context. We'll hit some highlights from those sermons, and uh, I've got some application questions for us to discuss together today as well. So Revelation chapter 20. Um, We'll start reading with the um, chapter labeled the Millennial Reign. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the waters of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates and on the west, three gates. 
And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, and the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add, him, add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. All right, so we... Um, over the past month and a half or so, we have covered one, two, three, four, five specific sermons on this, and so I want to recap those briefly together today. The first, we kind of set aside a whole week to talk about the millennial reign that we see in Revelation chapter 20, and we said studying and seeking to understand Revelation 20 is healthy 
because it forces us to seek clarity through other passages of Scripture. It reminds us that God does keep all of his promises. It encourages us that gospel, the gospel will be effective prior to Christ returning, and it leads us to hope in the second coming of Jesus more and more. I told you Revelation 20 is one of the most debated chapters in Scripture. A lot of views about when this happens and what actually happens. I told you there's three major views. The premillennial view that Jesus comes back before the millennium to take his church away. The basis of that belief is that Jesus has to keep his promises to Israel. Okay, The postmillennial view says that the gospel is going to basically work and the majority of the earth is going to follow Jesus before he comes back. The premise of that belief is that the gospel works, that the gospel is effective, that all authority and power has been given to Jesus and he goes with us. How could the gospel not see the earth come to know Jesus? Then there's the post-millennial view, the view that says that it's happening right now, that, that we're ruling and reigning with Jesus in the hearts of man, that Jesus rules and reigns in heaven, and that the second coming happens and then everything ends. So the millennium happens and then Jesus comes back. The premise of that view is that the New Testament is constantly talking about the hope of the believer being the second coming of Jesus and that when Jesus comes, death ends, sin ends, and we are ushered into eternity. All three have great proponents, people who hold to those views, right? I've encouraged you to study it because it's healthy to study it, because it's going to force you to, to, to work through other passages of Scripture. And it's going to remind you, no matter what view you hold, you have to hold the view that God keeps his promises. So what does it mean for God to keep his promises to Israel? You have to believe that the gospel is effective. What does it mean for the gospel to be effective? And certainly our hope is in the second coming of Jesus. So it's a healthy activity to really stop and pause and study Revelation chapter 20 because it forces us to work through Scripture and to work through what God says about his power and his promises. All right, from an application standpoint, I told you to study this on your own, know what you believe and why you believe it. And I've given you resources to do that. I told you I'm an amillennialist. And, and I told you that if you fall into that camp as well, don't let an attitude of pessimism reign in your life, right? The amillennialist believes things are going to continue to get worse until Jesus comes back. Don't ever let that damper our perspective as to whether the gospel works or not, right? While we don't believe the whole world is going to become a Christian, we certainly believe people from every tribe, nation, and tongue will continue to come to know Jesus until he comes back, all right? Second sermon we did was also on Revela or the millennial reign, but specifically from Revelation 20. I told you some of the, uh, some of the uh, key aspects of Revelation 20. It starts with what does it mean for Satan to be bound, right? And so I told you from an amillennialist perspective, and whether you are or aren't, the Bible does teach that Satan's influence has been greatly reduced with the first coming of Jesus. Jesus highlights that. Um, we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament, the, the, the majority of the nations did not know Jesus. And in the New Testament, that has drastically changed, right? Chris can testify to the fact that he's in the continent of Africa, which would have been a completely darkened place in the Old Testament when it came to worshiping Yahweh. And that the, the, the gospel is going forth in the, in the continent of Africa in ways that it did not in the Old Testament. It's because Satan's influence has been greatly reduced. You may believe that it's gonna be re reduced even further in the future, we certainly have to admit that it's been reduced now. Uh, there's been a great expansion of the gospel. And while death is still present for the Christian, there's still a great deception to come. Um, 
There is, is, is more antichrist to come. There is more false doctrine to come. Um, but we do have a spiritual resurrection occurring right now. Jesus and, and the New Testament writers talk about salvation being like a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual awakening. Um, and we certainly hope for a greater resurrection in the future, right? So no matter what view you hold, we certainly can admit these things together on some scale, all right? Um, from an application standpoint that week, um, we talked about establishing a plan for determining what you believe and getting your questions answered um, about some of these things, okay? So God keeps his promises. The gospel certainly works. The second coming is a big point of hope for us. Satan has been greatly limited right now, allowing the gospel to go forth. We have a responsibility to embrace the gospel before Jesus comes back. Certainly, we hope in the failure of the great deception that's to come. Because in Revelation 20, we get this picture of Satan and all of his forces mounting this great attack against Jesus and and that being completely stopped, being completely thwarted, right? So we have a great hope that while the Antichrist and other deception is to come, Jesus wins that great battle, okay? From an application question standpoint, get some feedback on this. Is there anyone... Uh, who's currently studying the millennial views on their own right now because you're not sure what you believe or you want further solidification about what you believe that maybe you could kind of share with us what it is that that you're doing on your own right now. Anybody kind of taking me up on that offer to really study on your own and know this? Reading anything, listening to anything? I'm kind of past that because I was wondering that while we were going through this, but I'm definitely on millennialism. Um, but you were a great resource in that. I was just peppering you with text messages and questions and reading through Daniel 7, um, just reading every resource I could get my hands on. Uh, and definitely the evening of eschatology was a huge resource in determining what I was, or what I believe, not what I was. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been highly encouraged by, by Jeremy and the approach that he's taken. He's come to me on, on a couple of different occasions asking for further resources to kind of listen to or to read on his own. Because here's the thing, I don't want anybody to be an amillennialist in this church because I am, right? Like, I, I, I don't want your main reason for being an amillennialist is because your pastor is, right? Like, I want you to know what it is you believe. And I, and I don't want anybody to sit back and say, I honestly don't care what I believe. Because here's the thing, we saw in Second Thess- First Second Thessalonians, Paul said, you know what? One of the first things that I taught you, new church in Thessalonica, one of the first things that I discipled you about was the Antichrist, right? Because this, this is a big point of, of topic in Thessalonians and in Revelation. There's great deception to come. As we see people saved and as we disciple them, this has to be part of our discipleship, that one of the reasons that we immerse ourselves in God's word is because there's a lot of falsehood and deception that is to come. I mean, I would never want a new believer to ask any of us, what do you think about the Antichrist? Now that we've come through studying Revelation, and you'd be like, nah, I don't know. And, and I'm, not, I'm not overly concerned about knowing. Because Paul was overly concerned about the new church in Thessalonica knowing a lot about the second coming of Jesus. It's our great hope, right? Like for the believer, I mean, this is what keeps us persevering. The fact that Jesus is coming back. And as we see things deteriorate around us, it would be very tempting to grow discouraged and say, you know what, I think this is spiraling out of control. I'm not sure that Jesus is still uh, sovereign over our world. Man, it's really important that we know some things about the, the future to protect ourselves from falling away, to teach others not to fall away as well. 
Any other any other thoughts? I think that looking at the millennium is a good example to at least confront the issue of how you approach scripture in your study. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of two. This one in particular, really, there's two schools of thought. Do you approach the Bible for the Bible to teach you and inform your belief about the millennium? Or do you take a belief and try and impose that onto what you read in Scripture? This one's a little foggier, but the principle of how you approach Scripture in general is good to be reminded that you want Scripture to inform your theology, not your beliefs about theology to inform your reading of Scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm reading through one of your book's recommendations, uh, Kingdom Come by Sam Storms, because I, I think, which is not just about the millennium, it's about the full scope of eschatology. But I, I'm enjoying it because our sermon series has spread out over a year and a half, but to like sort of get that concentrated on and get it in a more concentrated dose. That makes sense. Yeah. And don't think for a second because we're moving out of Revelation that we'll never talk about these things anymore, right? Like I told you, just about every New Testament book talks about Jesus coming back. So as we work through other books of the Bible, you're going to want to be able to filter some of these passages through some of the things that you understand about other passages of Scripture because Scripture speaks to each to itself. Like we like we understand Scripture based on what other Scriptures has to say, and so like we're not just shelving the topics that are found in Book of Revelation. We're moving out of the Book of Revelation, but a lot of this stuff we'll continue to come back to over the years because it's found in in other aspects of of the Bible too. Anybody else? Any personal things you're doing right now? Um, Triumph of the Lamb. Uh, commentary on Revelation by Dennis E. Johnson, which you recommended, is a great resource that I've been using to study that as well. And also, um, I've been going back through and listening to your sermons on uh, Thessalonians, which has been a great resource too. Yeah, and those are available on podcast for those that weren't here. Um, that was the first two books that we went through as a church. Part of our vision is to establish a church that that is full of people who understand the second coming of Jesus and can teach others to hope in that same that same thing. And so it's it's going to always be something that we're talking about in this church because we want our kids to grow up in a church where, where they hear about Jesus coming back regularly. We celebrate the resurrection by gathering on Sundays, but part of the reason we keep gathering is because he is coming back. He's coming back. Um, and we certainly want to increase our excitement about that based on what Scripture has to say. Let's keep moving along. We talked about the great white throne judgment. Uh, summary sentence for that week. The final judgment will force everyone to give an account for how they lived their life with believers being granted eternal reward because of their faith in Christ and unbelievers being eternally punished due to their sin and guilt. We talk about rejoicing for the fact that there's a holy judge who knows us and knows all the insides and outs and knows everything. Nothing gets missed, right? Like we're not going to need prosecuting attorneys and defense attorneys trying to bring evidence and trying to uh, bring details that might get missed by the judge. Like Nobody's having to inform the judge of what took place, right? We've had, we've had several in our church who've had to experience that line of work and have had to see at times injustice happen because the details weren't presented right or there was a lack of detail to be presented and there was a, a confusing uh, aspect as to what did happen in this situation. We don't have to worry about that when Jesus is judge. Jesus, Jesus knows everything and he will judge rightly and wholly when he performs that judgment. The call there in Revelation is for us to labor hard ourselves as Christians 
um, to, to perform good works, good deeds, not to be saved, right? Not to earn salvation, not to be justified in the eyes of God. But there's certainly this reward aspect, I think, that comes. Um, we talked about our, our righteous deeds going with us into death, the book of Revelation talks about. I mean, these are evidences. These are signs of our faith, right? Like we're not saved by our good works, but we are certainly saved to perform good works, There's a radical transformation that takes place in us so that we can now faithfully serve God and work for his kingdom. Um, And then we get to rest in eternity, uh, that that eternal security that comes with our salvation. Because we said that the great white throne judgment is not meant to make you feel a lack of confidence about standing before God. What we saw is that we should be extremely confident right? Because we will stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And there's nothing to, to, to lack confidence in when that's the case. Okay. We talked about from an application standpoint, determine and demonstrate your faith today. That's kind of been a theme throughout Revelation to, to show ourselves to be true followers of Christ, that we follow the lamb wherever he goes. So reflecting back, what are some ways we were called to demonstrate our faith in the book of Revelation? If we were to try to look at Revelation, the whole aspect of it, the whole gamut of it, what are some ways that we are called to demonstrate our faith in the book of Revelation that you can remember from our studies? Some real key things that, that we show or do that shows us to be followers of the Lamb. I mean, if you just looked at the book of Revelation only and tried to describe what's a Christian, What's somebody who follows Jesus do, or what do they look like? What would come out of just the book of Revelation? Love. Love? The church that lost it, they still had works, but they lost their love. All right, so we talked about the the correct motivation for why we do what we do, that we don't just do things because it's the right thing to do them. We do them out of, a, out of an attitude of love. Because if, if we lose the right motivation, eventually those, those things that we're doing will stop as well. Conquering is certainly a, a key word used to describe what a Christian looks like. It's somebody who isn't, isn't uh, exempt from trials and difficulties, right? In fact, like we're told in Revelation, be prepared for trials and difficulties. But the Christian is one who weathers the storm and keeps pushing through that and doesn't waver in their faith, doesn't, doesn't walk away from Jesus. Now, that's in the context of being aligned with a local church, right? Like there's never the expectation in scripture that you're supposed to do this by yourself alone, right? Like the letters at the very beginning of Revelation are written to groups of churches, like do this together. Um, so, so nobody isolated by themselves would be able to necessarily weather all these storms alone. Um, the way God's designed it is that we do it together, that we, that we hold fast together. And that's a theme we'll see in the book of Hebrews is that we're meant to do this together. We conquer together. Other ways that we would see Christians described. Revelation 24 just talks about not taking the mark of the beast or his image. And uh, you could say that is under the category of identity. We're supposed to be identified as Christians, not as other. So that I think the application of that is through lifestyle or, you know, and, you know, they know we're we're Christians by our love, but Mm -hmm. just not being like the world is part of demonstrating your faith. Yep, absolutely. Uh, a separation from the world. Yeah, absolutely. Lovers of truth. And that comes from a, a, a love for doctrinal truth. Like we want right things about the Bible to be what we are, are um, aligning ourselves with. But then I think also we talked about the, the practical aspect. We should be known as truthful people. 
right? Like, like in our dealings with our businesses, in our dealings with our government, when it comes to tax season, like we aren't people that, that try to skirt the system, that try to find holes in the system, that try to beat the system. Like we're not deceptive in nature. We're true people. Like, like we want to be truthful. We want to be, want to be true people. I, you know, I told you the example of, of last fall when I shot the deer that I wasn't supposed to shoot on our lease. You know, and that's why I texted everybody and said, hey, I shot a doe. Like, everybody was excited for me. And then I walked down there, and I see that it's a button buck. And I could have easily just kept that to myself. And, and hey, oh, I, I got a, a really cool story. Um, but what did I do? I told you guys I felt convicted. I was like, man, I don't want these guys to think that I'm a liar if somebody were to drive up and see me hauling out a button buck. And so I texted the two guys that run the lease, and I said, I got to be honest. Like, I thought this was a doe, and it's not. And I shot a button buck. And they said, man, we really appreciate you being honest about this. Um, we certainly understand that it happens, but we, we can't tell you how thankful we are that you owned it. I didn't think anything about that. We had a meeting recently where a couple of weeks before I shot my doe button buck, somebody else did the same thing, said they shot a doe, and, what, and then somebody decided to drive over and see the doe, and it was a four-point four buck, and, and the guy had lied about it and was not going to own it. Um, and they were talking about how we're not sure we want to be around this guy. We don't trust him anymore. Um, we think there's a character flaw with this guy. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm so thankful that that, that didn't happen to me, that I didn't lose an opportunity. Because one of this guy is a parent of, of a Trinity kid. Like, how would that have looked if he drives up and sees me lying about a deer and he's entrusted his kid to me and, and now he's got questions about my character, right? We, sh- we should be known as truthful people. That's certainly evident in the book of Revelation. Great deception to come, great falsehood to come, certainly a cause to be uh, lovers of truth doctrinally, but certainly we should reflect truth in all of our dealings as well. People are watching us. People are watching our character. Um, We should demonstrate truth in our lifestyles. Any other thoughts about ways that we demonstrate this? Um, Just hope and justice in this world is not my home. Yep. Yep. Constantly keeping a a perspective about the future that this this is not it. And when we see injustice, man, I think it should motivate us to be reminded that that, that will not always be the case, that, that sinners will not always get away, um, that when Jesus comes, all things will be brought to light. Any other thoughts? Um, there's a couple of verses that have always stood out to me. Um, one is in Revelation 16, and then the other is in um, chapter 9, and it talks about... Um, in chapter 9, it says, The rest of mankind did not repent of their works. And then in 16, it says, After the fourth bowl was poured out, they did not repent and give him glory. And so I think that that means that we are the opposite. We have repented and shown um, glory to him, whereas these things keep happening and signs keep happening to the world, and they continue to refuse to repent. Yep, repentance should certainly be something that describes us. Initial repentance for salvation, ongoing repentance as a believer as well. We're not perfect, we're going to make mistakes, and there may even be times where we're not truthful. But the way that we redeem the character piece is to be repentant, to be sorrowful, to be turning from our sin. Um, it is also a great representation of what a Christian is. And then I think an, another theme that kind of runs through this, um, you got idolatry, right? Like, like we're lovers of God and we put him first in our life. We don't elevate things in this world to dominate our life. And then sexual purity is certainly a descriptive uh, term used for what a Christian is. And, and we, we are pure in our dealings with each other. 
um, that comes up constantly in the book of Revelation. And we're even told that those who are liars and are sexually impure, those who aren't repenting of those sins, those who are characterized by those sins, I told you the Bible doesn't give a whole lot of hope for them when it comes to eternity, right? Like I, I told you, just because you, you commit sexual impurity or you, you, you tell lies doesn't mean that you can't be a Christian. I just told you the more that those things are happening in your life, the more the burden of proof falls on you to show me why you will be eating of the tree of life because those people are not participants according to Revelation. Um, thankfully, we're all guilty of those things and Jesus washes us of those things right? But if those things continue to characterize us, it may be a good indicator that we're not truly trusting in Jesus, all right? We talked about paradise restored. We said in the end, God will restore the forfeited blessings of Eden, providing the conquerors an inheritance free from all of the negative things associated with this current fallen world, instead filled with the eternal joy of his presence. We talked about all the fallenness being removed. We talked about the great intimate fellowship that is to come in the future as well. I told you a couple, maybe last week, it's hard for me to fathom an eternity where people don't get married, right? Because that's such a norm for us in this life that, that the best intimate fellowship is found in marriage is what we're led to believe. And to see Jesus say that in the future, in eternity, they're not given to marriage, which communicates to us that that, that type of relationship is not needed in eternity, that there's an intimacy that comes with our creator where that relationship is no longer needed. And so that's such an encouragement to those of us who maybe have never been married or to those of us who lose spouses in this life, whether that's through death or abandonment, that we continue to hope for a state that will far, ex- far, far outweigh this shortened period of time, right? Like a shortened period of time where maybe we didn't get to experience intimate fellowship eternity, all of us get to experience it. That's the picture in in Paradise Restored is that we all enjoy a state of intimacy that will will leave none of us lacking or desiring more. Um, Such a a great hope that's extended to believers that sin and death and, and all the bad things about creation get removed and we get to keep all the great things about creation for eternity. Um, Focus on the future being an application. Terry even kind of mentioned that this is not our home, um, and we need to regularly be reminded of that, which leads me to ask this question. What are some ways a strong belief in a restored paradise in the future can impact us today? How does that, that truth of fallenness and intimate fellowship coming in the future, how does that impact us today potentially? I kind of shared one with you is that we don't have to get so wrapped up in the marital relationship as though that's the end-all, be-all that something far greater is to come in the future, even if we never experience that today, or if we've experienced it for a time and then lose it, something far greater than any experience in this life relationally is to come in the future. So that can help keep our perspective healthy um, in regards to marriage. What are some other ways that it can impact us? This helps us keep the circumstances of this world in their place. Um, one of my favorite things I used to tell the kids all the time is this has no eternal value. So just keeping the everyday just little things that don't go your way in perspective. They're, they're nothing. Right, right. I think it just also prevents us from the whole idea of idolatry because, I mean, none of it, like, come on, Terry was saying, that none of it really matters now. So, you know, the things of the world that we tend to put in front of are 
faith in front of Jesus, in front of, you know, church, in front of everything that are so important right now. But if we focus on that, if we focus on what's going to come to us in the future, then it just, it just shouldn't matter. It just, and it does not matter. Yep. yep. Um, at times when I'm tempted to um, compare my life to other people's lives or, um, I, you know, I haven't gone and done and seen a whole lot of things that this world has to offer. I'm, like, I'm talking about, um, you know, people who travel a lot and post lots of pictures of things that they've gone and experienced. And I'm like, oh, I'm probably never going to go do those things. And then I often find, like, excitement and joy and think, that's all right. The things in the new world, like, I'll have all the time in the world to go see those things, and they're probably better than the ones here. So, oh, well. <laughs> It doesn't matter. So that's kind of like an everyday reminder of contentment of, you know, just what my lifestyle is like and to not battle with comparison of things or experiences that, you know, this world is not my home and there's one that will get to go further up and further in and it gets better and better. Yeah, definitely. Protects us from complaining about circumstances today too, I think, you know. Um, some of us faith health, face health challenges. You know, we talked about Chris. We've, there's been others in our church that have, have gone through health challenges, some that you're just going to have to endure until Jesus comes back or you die. Like some, some of the things aren't getting even corrected at this point. As we continue to get older, some of our bodies will continue to break down and things that aren't fixable by doctors. And, and you know, we don't have to, to grow weary in the midst of that because we know we're getting new bodies Right? Like we're getting bodies where, where we'll never have to get scans, we'll never have to get tests run, we'll never have to try to figure out why is it not functioning the way that it's supposed to function. Right? So when we keep that type of perspective, we filter our current circumstances through that, and it alleviates a lot of the complaining and the groaning and the grumbling that could easily kind of come out in our life um, because we realize it's, it's temporary. It's difficult right now. I don't want to minimize the difficulty of it, but it's temporary. And there's certainly something coming that will far outweigh and outlast the temporary that we experience right now. That hope begets perseverance in the momentary like troubles. Yep. Yep. yep, absolutely. absolutely. All right. And then last week, we kind of gave those last words, and they should be lasting words. I told you as we wait for the imminent return of Jesus, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the source of our ultimate satisfaction. There was some, basically the whole sermon was application based, based on verses 6 through 21. We saw our, our need to obey his word, to worship Jesus only, to proclaim the things that we've learned to others. Don't seal it up, make it known because the time is short. To live by faith, to share the gospel with others, to preserve uh, truth and to invest in the future. So we'll kind of leave this last question. What are some key things that you've learned in this study of Revelation that you think are worth proclaiming to others? Right? You you probably aren't going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the locust people, you know, that we saw in the book of Revelation. You may not try to give a discourse on the sea beast and the land beast, but what are some key things that you've learned that should not be sealed up. That you are. That you feel like, man. These are the. These are the things that I would want to proclaim to somebody else. Anything that maybe we haven't already mentioned. Revelation is not scary. It is very encouraging and very hopeful. Um, as a child growing up, I was. Revelation was scary. I didn't want to study it because that. Uh, but that Jesus is when he's on your side. He's the most powerful 
being, but when you're not, he's the scariest in Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. Other thoughts? thoughts. I would say um, encourage people to study Revelation just because you get to see so many aspects of Jesus that I feel like um, that you don't necessarily get to see throughout the Gospels, or at least you see them in a, in a bigger, uh, greater, and more powerful way. Um, I just feel like it usually is a perspective that it's the book to go to when you're wanting to learn about what is the end going to look like. And it really should just be the perspective of going to that book when you really want to see like the full scope of Jesus uh, and what he is like. Yeah. Certainly the Jesus that we'll experience for eternity, right? Like he, we'll see Jesus veiled in some senses in the gospel, and we see Jesus completely unveiled in the book of Revelation. Other things that are worth proclaiming? Um, Jesus has already won the war, right? So Jesus beats Satan's breath, um, which makes it way easier to endure any trial in this life, knowing that in the end, everything's already finished and won. And so we can have hope in that victory that Christ has already given us. Um, I think for me, and this is the kind of the way that I want to continue to use the book of Revelation moving forward, I'm excited to be able to quote from it more when we're kind of teaching other passages to really feel like I know what it is I'm even quoting at this point. Um, I mean, I think it's a great place to go when we try to, one, remind ourselves to, to say no to sin, but also to encourage others that are, that are falling into sin um, to be able to show them, you know, pictures of the end, like it's these people, the conquering people, the people who overcome sin that are found to be eating of the tree of life. And so I think the book of Revelation is a great tool. Uh, we've talked about the perseverance, we've talked about the conquering, but just using it as a counseling book to be able to reference to others that you're, that you're in your accountability group, you're trying to help each other fight sin, and you're wanting to send encouraging passages. Um, you know, as we're battling for sexual purity in our accountability group, to be able to remind each other, hey, if you're going to be eating of the tree of life, like, you've got to battle this and fight this because the sexually immoral are pictured as not doing that. You know, so for me, I think this book is a great book to now come back to regularly as a call to holiness, a call to purity, uh, to be able to remind ourselves and remind each other about the importance of following Jesus and what that looks like. Any other thoughts? thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, just it'll be really easy to approach it and look at it in broad view as a standpoint of this is what's going to happen. And thank God that we're on this side of it and not on the other side of it, but not look at that as the ultimate application <coughs> that we're very clearly in this time of restraint, right? That he's just holding us back so people can come to him and not just look at those people and say, we're not on the other side of the fence, we're not on the outside of the gates. Mm-hmm. But from the standpoint of we need to go and reach that, we have a very clear responsibility and burden to advance the gospel in this time of restraint and bring people to know him so that they're with us. Yeah, well, Andrew, to think about in this culture, in this region, within the Bible Belt, being a Yankee, sorry, that there is a reality of 
a lot of the teaching of Jesus as lion and judgment is really, it's unpopular, so it's like anti-church growth. So if you're going to have a big successful church, you may not hear a lot of that. So you're going to hear and interact with people all the time at your workplace, in your neighborhoods that are familiar with Christianity that really don't have a good picture of, hey, there's consequences the way I live my life, and that's kind of part of something that's not a popular message that don't get surprised that people might be more ignorant than we think. Yeah, the thing probably that I return to more and more over the years and will continue is those seven churches and where they failed and then I imagine what kind of a person can cause some of these failures and I don't want to be that person. So it just reminds me over and over to think about the church and what that church that brings the most glory to God. All right, let's close our time in Revelation with this. I want to get um, seven of you to read one verse each, um, and these are known as the seven Beatitudes of Revelation. Blessed are the people who do this. There's seven of them found in the book of Revelation. I want us to read these because they start way back in Revelation chapter 1, and they conclude in Revelation chapter 22. Blessed are the people who do these things. We talked about the great blessings that come from reading and hearing and studying the book of Revelation. And then we're told in the midst of that, blessed are the people who do these things. There's somebody that'd like to read Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 for us. Taylor, Revelation 14, 13. Jeremy, Revelation 16, 15. Bobby, Revelation 19, 9. Maggie, Andrew, Revelation 26. Revelation 22, 7, Adam. And then the last one is Revelation 22, 14. Somebody want that one? Topi. All right, let's read Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. All right, blessed. blessed is the one who reads and who hears this book. Blessed is the one who invests time in understanding it. So, Closing thoughts, the seven Beatitudes, be faithful to study God's word, be faithful to know it, to understand it, to hear it, to read it. Uh, The Bible promises blessing, right? Promises life change, promises that you'll remember the promises of God, which keep you persevering, which keep you hoping until the end. Be faithful to study God's word, not to fill your head with knowledge so that you know more than other people, but to see life change occur in your life. That's the blessing that comes. The blessing that comes from studying the Bible is that your life is changed and conformed, right? We're transformed um, and not conformed to the things of this world. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Be faithful to death. I don't know when the time's going to come, but um, like it'll be sad when the time comes when somebody in our church passes away. You know, like we've we've had family members pass away, but man, I, I do not look forward to the day where one of our church members passes away. I've never done a funeral before. I've done some of your weddings. I've never done a funeral before, and I know that day will come at some point. Um, it'll come at some point. The, clo- the closest we ever got to it, and Tiffany and Adam and I joke about this 
well after the fact now. But you'll remember that first year we planted that church or planted our church. I mean, Adam Long was 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 in dire emergency at the hospital, and they could not figure out what was going on with him. And I remember thinking, wow, like God's going to test us year one um, with, with losing a church member in the very first year. And, and thanks be to God that he healed Adam and it wasn't more serious than what we initially thought that it could have been. I know there's coming a day where we're going to have to do a funeral that one of our members is going to pass away unless Jesus comes back. Um, blesses the one who dies in the Lord, though, right? Like, blesses the one who stays faithful to death, um, who is resurrected into the presence of Jesus and will wait with Jesus and then will come with Jesus to grab the living church to be reunited with loved ones. Blesses the one who stays faithful to the very end. That's the one who, on their deathbed, can be excited that while this world is passing away, then they are starting to enter into the next phase right before eternity. Um, Revelation sixteen fifteen. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Blessed is the one who stays awake. So number three is be faithful to prepare. Prepare for Jesus' return. He is coming back. He's coming back soon. We need to stay awake, stay alert, keep our eyes focused on the future to make sure that we're ready for that. Revelation 19.9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. All right, if you back up just briefly in that chapter, you get an idea of what it looks like to be invited to the supper or what is required in being invited to the supper. So Maggie read verse 9, talks about being blessed to be a part of the supper. It's the bride who is invited to the supper. And the way that the bride is described says in verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So number four, be faithful to work. Be faithful to work. You've been saved to work. Not saved by your works. You have been saved so that you can now work. The the bride shows up prepared for the supper, clothed in the fine linen, which is the righteous deeds. We talked about, really, the fine linen is given to her. The ability to even perform good deeds is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit works in us to perform those good deeds. It's our job to work, though. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, to be invited to the supper, we need to be aligned with the people who are working out their salvation. All right, Revelation 26. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God in Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. All right, we talked about that first resurrection being connected to our salvation, so we certainly need to be faithful to believe. Man, what what a... What a sad case it would be for anybody who is of believable age right now to have gone through this study and still not believe in Jesus. Man, let's believe, be faithful to believe, be faithful to keep on believing. We highlighted the fact the only reason to stop believing in Jesus is not because you wanted to get a divorce that's not uh, allotted in Scripture. It's not to, to run after the things of this world. It's not to pursue other things. The only reason you stop believing in Jesus is if the resurrection is proven to be a sham. As long as the facts show that Jesus is no longer dead, we have every reason to keep believing in him. 
We don't ever wander from the faith unless the, the, the resurrection is a sham. And all the evidence, all the facts point to the fact that Jesus is back from the dead, which means he's coming back again to get us. All right, Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of his book. Be faithful to obey. Be faithful to obey. Keep the words of this book. Be faithful to obey the things that we've learned. And then Revelation twenty-two fourteen. For those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Be faithful to repent. Be faithful to repent. That, that washing of the robe, obviously that takes place initially with our salvation where we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We have a responsibility to keep repenting though. Um, I've told you before, like on the mission field, a lot of times people are described as Christians and they're given, I know in Romania, the label repenters. These are people who continue to repent. They continue to repent. Not to keep their salvation, not to maintain their salvation, but to show their salvation. Right? We repent of our sins and we keep repenting of our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. A sign of being a true Christian is one who continues to repent of their sins. They're grieved over their sins. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. He's sanctifying us. He's working in us. We keep repenting. We keep working out that salvation. Seven Beatitudes of, of Revelation. Be faithful to these things and great blessing, great spiritual blessing comes to us. We don't need the eternal, the, we don't need the, the earthly blessings. The eternal blessings are what we're after, right? These things keep us ready for the return of Jesus. Be faithful to study, be faithful to death, be faithful to prepare, be faithful to work, be faithful to believe, be faithful to obey, be faithful to repent. I want to wrap up our time together by partaking of the Lord's Supper as we seek to do each time we have application Sunday. This is a, this should be a preview of the, of the coming supper that we're invited to, right? We'll, we'll, we'll frame up our understanding of the Lord's Supper today in light of what we've learned in Revelation. We oftentimes go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth for why we partake of the Lord's Supper. Let's think in terms of the supper that we're invited to in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a preview of that. Um, it should be a preview of that. And what it means to be a preview then is that we believe that this is for believers only, right? It's those who are on the invitation list right now for the great supper to come. And so we would ask that only those who are believers to partake this morning. Um, but we certainly invite anyone who is also um, not a member of our church to partake with us as well, because we do believe that you're on the great invitation list, and we certainly wouldn't prohibit you from being on our invitation list this morning. So if you're a believer, member or non-member, then we would love to invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, the Lord's Supper is meant to be a visual picture to each of us that we're saying yes to Jesus still, that we're still in the group that is ongoingly repenting of our sin. So we don't partake this morning because we had a great week, and we did a lot of obedient things, and we didn't mess up very much. Um, and we're coming, we're coming to partake because we probably messed up a lot this week. Um, and it's a good reminder to us that our salvation is not based on our works. It's based on the work of Jesus Christ. That for us to be clothed in fine linens, uh, bright and pure, is, is because Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us. And that's represented through the, the bread that we'll eat of, his perfect body that was broken for us. And uh, the, 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 the blood represented through the grape juice is certainly a reminder that um, just what happened yesterday 
was enough to put Jesus on the cross. Whatever it was you did yesterday, you fell short of God's standards of holiness in some capacity, and it necessitated Jesus coming down the cross. And so we're confessing again that we need Jesus desperately uh, for us to ever hope to eat of the tree of life and to be with him for eternity. Um, And so by partaking today, it's just another good reminder to our pride that we need Jesus more and more every single day as we look for him to come back. It's a reminder to us, too, that Jesus hasn't come back yet because Paul says we partake of this until Jesus comes back. Um, So what we're doing this morning is we're partaking of this uh, not to save us, not to keep us saved, uh, but to encourage each other. Um, that we're all still saying yes to Jesus, and it's a reminder to us that we need Jesus. Um, And so we're celebrating the death, the resurrection, the life of Jesus, and what that means for our salvation. So I want to give you an opportunity to pray and to reflect before you partake. I'm going to pray for us right now, and then as uh, the Lord leads you, we invite you to partake in the back, Um, and then Tyson's going to close our time out together uh, through song. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful and thankful that you are preparing Jesus to come back for us. Um, We're thankful for the insight that you've blessed us with about the future in our study of Revelation. We recognize that a lot of what we read is probably happening right now um, and will continue to happen until Jesus comes back, just in a more intense way. Keep us believing, Lord. We thank you that the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. God, help us to keep trusting in that. Guard us and protect us from the hardness that comes from tolerated sin in our life. Lord, I pray that we would continue to repent, continue to confess, continue to turn back to you each and every day. Um, Lord, we're thankful for the security that comes in knowing that when we stand before you, it's not our deeds that are on display, it's Jesus's. It's Jesus's work that's the grounds for our salvation. And we're thankful that in saving us, you now work out good deeds in our life that, that can be used as a, as a demonstration or as a proof of our faith. God, we thank you that Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, and resurrected powerfully for us. We thank you for the chance to celebrate that this morning as we, as we eat and drink. It's a reminder to us that we need Jesus. And God, I pray that we would all be reminded of that this morning. Um, Father, I pray that we would continue to anticipate your return. Um, Lord, we look forward to the great supper where we're all together, the whole church. Um, As we partake of a smaller snack today, God, I pray that it would create a longing in us for that great supper that is to come. Father, for anybody that's not on the invitation list, I pray that you would bring about conviction for them. Help them to understand that if they're not invited to the supper, Revelation 19 describes them as becoming the supper. And so, God, I pray that you would bring about conviction and and salvation in the lives of anybody in this room that doesn't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Thank you for your goodness to us. We celebrate that goodness this morning. Thank you for Jesus. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.